This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. It's always a privilege and it's always a joy that we can gather with God's people opening up God's Word because God's Word is truth and what God has spoken, it will come to pass. But shall we ask God this morning, first of all, to help us to engage with His Word after this long week that we had? Let's pray. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for the week that has passed. You who sustained the universe, You have sustained us such that we are here today. Lord, You know what we have gone through. You know what we will have to go through. But we can trust in You because You are the one who created us and You are the one who knows all things. So we pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will help us to engage with your word this morning. Pray, God, that you help me to explain your word clearly and faithfully, so that, God, we may all be nourished and be strengthened by your truth. We pray all this for your glory and yours alone. Amen. Now, 30 hours after my granny passed away, in fact, it was shortly after I preached the sermon at a wake, I found myself slouching and sitting at my bedroom floor. I was exhausted physically, emotionally. I needed sleep. But my mind was a massive battlefield. The hope promised in the Bible, the loss we experienced, were battling inside me. And I could barely stay um, um, composed. Now, my wife was sitting next to me, as she always does in difficult times, and I remember mumbling these words to my wife. I said to her, if the gospel is not true, nothing matters anymore. If the gospel is not true, nothing matters anymore. What I meant was this, if the gospel that is translated good news is not true, then life really doesn't matter. Because death always ruins everything. Now, in yours and my experience, we know that life must matter. Because life matters, we will get ourselves out of bed on Monday morning, grumbling to work or to school. Because life matters, we will want to stay healthy and to keep going. Because life matters, we'll run to the doctors when we fall sick. We'll give up almost anything to stay healthy. Alive, Because life matters. Those of us who are younger, we dream dreams of our future. Those of us who are older, we fear sickness and death. For those of us who are in the middle age, we may get stuck in this, uh, what a society calls the midlife crisis. We wake up one day and wondering what we are doing and why we are doing what we are doing. It matters because our life matters to us. But the question is, how can life matter when death always ruins it? What gospel, that is, what good news is there that is strong enough to deal with our imminent crisis? What is this gospel announced in the Bible? Well, this morning, I'd like to invite us to step into the Bible to engage with these three questions that will shape everything you think about your life and my life. The central question 
will be this. What is the gospel? What is the good news? But to do that, we need to first ask this question. What is the bad news? Such that we need to be even bothered to hear about good news. And we need to consider the third question. What do we do with this gospel? So the three questions. What is the bad news? What is the gospel? What is the good news? And finally, what is the implication of the gospel? Now, as it turns out, the Bible has more bad news for us than we realize. It tells us that our physical death, which we totally dread, is merely the tip of the iceberg of bad news. The worst is yet to come. But what can be worse than death. You know, a pastor by the name Paul Washer, he was once speaking at a university in Europe. There, many people do not consider the Bible relevant. And so Washer, when he arrived there, he began his talk with this message. He said, I want to tell you the most terrifying truth in the scripture. I want to tell you the most terrifying truth in the scriptures. The audience leaned forward. They wanted to hear what he's got to say. And he replied, The most terrifying truth in the gospel is this. It is that God is good. At least the audience broke into a bit of a giggle and laughter. Simon shouted, What's so bad and terrifying that God is good? He ignored them. He continued, The most terrifying truth is that God is good, but we are not. Paul Washer hits the bullseye of our human crisis. No, dear friends, the Bible tells us God is good and just and holy, but we humans, we are not. We have sinned and rebelled against God. We have sinned and we have hurt each other. We have sinned and made gods out of ourselves. We are willing to bow down to any humans or things if they grant us stuff. But we will not bow down to God. We will make ourselves the center of our universe and we will stuff God into a bottle to be occasional genie. Dear friends, God is good and just and holy, but we are not. And this is bad news. Because God is good and just, He cannot and He will not ignore any rebellion or any sin. He cannot. He will not even turn a blind eye to even the smallest of the wrongs we have done. Not one lie, not one lust or bitterness or greed or pride or selfish thought or action. Because if God ignores even the slightest wickedness, He will no longer be a good and just God. And this cannot happen. And if God simply brings wicked and unholy creatures like us into heaven to enjoy being in His presence, He will no longer be a holy God. His holiness demands that any unholiness to be eventually destroyed. And so because of who God is and who we are, the Bible has bad news for us. Our worry about death is but the tip of the iceberg. There is an avalanche of bad news after we die. 
Now, what is more terrifying than our physical death? The Bible tells us, is the day where we will have to face the wrath and the perfect judgment of a good and just and holy God. Unlike other teachings you hear around, the Bible tells us life is not circular. Life is linear. Hebrews 9.27 says this. He says, humans, we are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment of God. If death is horrendous, what comes after that is far, far worse. No, dear friends, unless God intervenes, we are at this very moment propelling ourselves nearer and nearer towards a place that will not be sustained by God's love, by God's justice, by God's holiness, a place we like to call hell. But this hell is nothing like the movies we have watched. And unlike this world where God has continued to sustain us with good things, with beauty, with pleasure, despite our rejection and rebellion of Him, we still see beauty but not the place that we are propelling ourselves to. A place removed from God's life-sustaining power. Without God's grace, we will unleash the worst of who we really are. Hell is not like this dying world. The Bible calls this place where sinners are hating the fiery lake of burning sulfur, Revelation 21.8, where the fire never goes out, Mark 9.43, a place of eternal punishment, Matthew 25.46, eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, Matthew 25.41, a place of everlasting destruction and shut from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, 2 Thessalonians 1.9, a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, Matthew 13 verse 50. Or Revelation 20, 12 to 15 simply calls it the second death. Let me read this for us. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Verse 13. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. The death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Everyone was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire as well. Now, dear friends, this is the terrifying news. Our physical death is but the tip of the iceberg because our physical death will not wipe away the records of our lives. Doing good works do not erase a single dot of the history of our wickedness, our sin, our evil thoughts or actions. And judgment on that day will not be made relative to other creatures. It will be objective to God's perfect goodness and justice and holiness. Our physical death is merely a gateway to the day of judgment. This is bad news. No, dear friends, unless we realize how desperate our situation is, we wouldn't realize how precious the gospel, the good news of God is. So what is the gospel? What is the good news? It is here I'd like to invite us to consider carefully a few passages regarding the gospel. There are many, but today we can only look at three. So the first passage comes that we look at as an introduction to the gospel. It's found in the gospel according to Mark. So it's in Mark chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. I put it up there, but if you have a Bible, you can open and look at it as well. The author writes this. 
the beginning of the good news, the gospel about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, dear friends, notice three things right there in the first verse that Mark mentions about the gospel. First of all, the gospel has a beginning. Second, the gospel is about Jesus. Third, the gospel has been prophesied even before Jesus appeared. So let's consider each of these very briefly. First of all, the author Mark starts his account with these words, the beginning of the gospel to inform his readers that the gospel account has a storyline which has a beginning. We shall see in the passage that the gospel account is about a person, Jesus, but it also begins with the arrival of a messenger named John the Baptist in verse 4. Now the appearance of this man, John, he is the voice that announced the king's arrival, which means that the good news has begun when John appears. Second, the author Mark points clearly that the gospel is about Jesus. He carries this title. It's not a name, it's a title called Messiah, or New Testament Greek is Christ. It is a loaded title from the Old Testament. You know, the title Messiah or Christ is basically translated as the Anointed One. It is a title referring to the promised deliverer and savior of God's chosen people. This Messiah Christ is a long-expected king promised from the line of King David. In fact, he is also known as the Son of God. The gospel, the good news, is ultimately centered around this person and his works, Jesus, the anointed. And third, if you look at this short passage, Mark made it a point to show us the gospel, the good news, never came out of thin air. It didn't just appear 2,000 years ago, one day someone just writes a story. Rather, it is built on Old Testament accounts. In fact, the whole of the Old Testament, from your Genesis up to your Malachi, the whole of your Old Testament is a pointer to the arrival of this anointed one. While the gospel finally reveals who Jesus is and what he has come to do. No, the whole of the Old Testament is, is historical accounts, is prophecies, is, is promises. They are all pointers to prepare us so that there will be no doubt when Jesus comes that he will be the Messiah, the Christ. So right at this introduction, the author Mark already gives citation from the Old Testament, like Malachi 3.1, where God says, I'll send my messenger who pressed the way for me. Or Isaiah, we've been looking at it, Isaiah 40 verse 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, dear friends, this Old Testament quotes anticipates that a messenger of God will arrive, he will arrive to prepare and pave the way for God's king to come. This messenger we will call people to turn their hearts away from sin and rebellion and turn their hearts back to God. When John came, verse 4, and so when John came, when he appeared 2,000 years ago, he came as a messenger of God's king. John, he became the historical marker that separates our whole world into two halves. When John came, he wraps around all the promises 
that God has made since the beginning of our history. And he points at Jesus and says, and he is the future. He separated our world by being the marker and points to the king. Now, soon after the appearance of Jesus, John the Baptist, he was thrown into prison by a worldly king. And then Mark continues, chapter 1, verse 14 to 15. Look at this with me. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news, the gospel. Here in this second passage, Jesus himself declares three things about the gospel. See if you can follow with me. First of all, Jesus declares that the gospel, which is the good news, it is the good news of God, and it is about to be fulfilled. Now, dear friends, why do we have this Bible? If you have a physical, why do we have this Bible? Well, in one sense, this Bible tells the history of our human wickedness long enough for us to see that we are no different like them. But more than that, this Bible is here in our hands because God loved us too much for us to face eternal hell. That He writes into history the good news of His love. From page after page, God writes His love and His promises that He'll come and rescue us. God writes into history that He will give us away. God is good. We are not good. That is bad news. But God loves us too much to abandon us. And so He gave us the good news. In fact, the whole Old Testament is God writing His promise to offer a way out for us out of our crisis. And here, Jesus, as He arrived, He says, the time has come for the promised good news of God to become a reality. Second, the gospel is about the kingdom of God. Take a look. God promised, this is what God says in Old Testament, He promised that there will be a perfect kingdom. We'll hear more of that as we come back to the last part of Isaiah in weeks to come. God has promised a perfect kingdom. But this perfect kingdom of God can only arrive if the king himself arrives because the king has to arrive has to come to deal with the crisis before he can offer anyone into this kingdom. And here Jesus boldly declares, the kingdom of God has come near. How so? Because Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, has arrived. Thirdly, as John the Baptist had declared earlier, Jesus himself also declares this. Look at it with me. Repent and believe the good news Jesus cried out. For God's good news to be good news for us, we have to respond. There's a need to turn away from sin. We saw it last week and turn to trust in this gospel message about Jesus Christ. So here we have it at the beginning of Mark 1. We already learned that the gospel is about a person, the works of Jesus Christ. The gospel has long been prophesied in the Bible. It has been set into motion with the arrival of John the messenger, the gospel brings in God's kingdom, the gospel demands a response. With that introduction by the author Mark, the rest of the gospel accounts by Matthew, by Mark, by Luke, by John, they unpack the story of Jesus 
Now, if you have been in church for any length of time, you will hear about Jesus, real of the gospel accounts, the story of Jesus' life, how he has lived a perfect life, and he did many things to reveal his from God, and then he ended up dying on the cross. And more strangely, he rose from the dead. But we need to ask this question, how do all this become good news? What makes this the gospel? Can we still remember the gateway to judgment is our death. It's something that we cannot bear. Do we still remember our bad news? God is good. We are not. So what exactly is good news in this life and death or even resurrection of Jesus? What exactly is this good news? Now, there are many passages that describe the gospel. And one of the most succinct would have been from the Apostle Paul. And the one that I'm, we are going to look at is from 1 Corinthians 15. And this will be the third passage we look at. I'll just read from 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1 to verse 4 for us. Would you take a look at this with me? 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1 to verse 4. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Verse 3. For what I received, I pass on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, but he was, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Dear friends, here in this scripture, in this passage, Paul reminds the Corinthian Christians, the first readers of the gospel message they have heard, they have received, they have taken their stand. Notice carefully how Paul emphasized in verse 2 that God's good news is good news to anyone only if they have believed and hold on to the message. So what is the gospel? If you are to corner Paul to one side and say, what is the gospel, Paul, so that I can believe and be saved? This will be Paul's summary of the most important part of the gospel. Look at verse 3 and verse 4 with me. Verse 3. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Jesus, the Christ, he died for our sins, according to the scripture. Paul brings to our attention that the death of Jesus Christ has always been God's means to save us from our sin-deserving death. In fact, God has engraved Jesus' death for centuries in the Bible. It turns out that the only way for a good and just and holy God to ever forgive us, to ever welcome us into the kingdom of heaven, is that he himself has to drink up the death we deserve. It turns out, for the good news that God to save us, God who is most offended by our wickedness, has to be the one who will bear the very punishment we deserve in order to save us. Jesus cried out when he arrived, Good news, good news, the solution of your crisis has come. I, the anointed king, savior has come. I have come to die your death. Jesus, the Messiah, who is really God the Son, He came to be our personal Savior 
our personal king by taking our death. Didn't we just read this two weeks ago, if you're here? Just two weeks ago, we read that Jesus had to die for our sins according to scriptures, like Isaiah 53, 4 to 6. Let me just read that little bits for us. Surely he took out our pain, bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgression, crushed for our iniquities. Who are we? we? We have gone astray, each of us turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What is the good news, brothers and sisters and friends? Jesus died for our sins according to scriptures. The Bible should have been just three chapters. It should have been. God made this beautiful world. He made us very good. We want to be God and we deserve help. It should have been three chapters. But it wasn't. It is filled with God's promise of good news again and again and again and again and again. Now we read how an animal skin was ripped, it, ripped off and God used the animal skin to make a covering for the rebellious Adam and Eve, our ancestors. What do we read? We read how God provided an animal to die in the place of Abraham's only son Isaac so that God's promise and blessings come to us. Abraham's son was spared. God's son will not be spared. We read of the Exodus story where the angel of death passes through Egypt to bring about God's limited judgment on human sin that one will die in each family in Egypt. But for the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, they escaped death by killing an innocent lamb, spreading his blood on their doorframe as a substitute. So that when death comes, the announcement is said that death already has occurred. We read of God's instruction to God's people. They are to offer blood of lambs as payment for their wickedness. Year after year, they are to offer blood because of their sin. Not because the lamb's blood can remove any sin. They were merely pointers to that one perfect lamb who will come and who will be willing to bear the real sin that we have. What was the first words that we read when John the Baptist saw Jesus? He looks at him and he tells the crowd, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to save us, to take away the sins of the world. What does that mean? Except that Jesus has to die. What is the gospel Paul summarizes in verse 3? Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. But that is only half the central message. Paul continues verse 4. Look at it with me. Christ, he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Again, not only must Jesus die and thus be buried, he must be raised from the dead on the third day. By Jesus' resurrection, death gets defeated. And God would not allow his anointed one to stay dead. King David already prophesied back in Psalm 16 that God would not allow his anointed one to see decay. Or in Hosea 6, 1-2, the prophet says that though God will tear apart his people Israel into pieces, sending them into exile, God will also nevertheless heal them. On the third day, God will revive His chosen Israel so that they may live in His presence once more. And again, we see a typology or a representative event in Genesis 22. We are told this, Abraham, he took a three days journey with his son Isaac to be sacrificed on the mountain. For three days, 
Isaac was as good as dead to his father. As good as dead. Yet with the unescapable death, Abraham was the first man who believed God can physically raise the dead to life. Listen to what Genesis 22 verse 4 to 5 says. Let me read this to us. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then I will, no, we will come back to you. Hebrews eleven nineteen simply just puts it this way. It says, Abraham reasoned that God, that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did raise, receive Isaac back from death. And of course, Jesus himself said in Matthew 12, verse 40, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What is the gospel, dear friends? If we have to summarize the core of the gospel message, it will be this. The death of Jesus Christ for sin and the resurrection of Jesus, the anointed king. I wish I had more time to look at Romans with you as well. But you can look at it yourself later on. Romans 1, 2 to 4. Or perhaps if you want a slightly longer summary, then the gospel. The gospel is the story of how God's promise of rescue is made a reality by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who through his death for sin and his resurrection brings a new people into his kingdom. Dear friends, this is the gospel. The question is, what do you and I do with this gospel? Is this gospel message, gospel, good news to you and to me? As we wrap up, let us consider carefully the implication of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd like to do it in two parts. First for the Christians, then for those while still pondering if this gospel is gospel to you. To those of us who are Christians, now this gospel message is what we hold on to and never ever let go, as Paul reminds the Corinthian Christian. In holding to the gospel of Jesus' death for our sin, His resurrection and kingship, we recognize that we are sinners deserving death and God's wrath. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are filled with hope, because Jesus exhausted God's wrath on the cross for us. This good news is good news for us. The gospel is the reason why our loyalty will always be to God first before humans, because He paid the unimaginable price to love you and me. The gospel is the reason why we pray more for our families, our children, our friends, for their personal faith in Jesus more than their material success, because He or she will not be helpless in the face of death and judgment. The gospel of Christ is the reason why Christians, we should be spurred on to live a life that's worthy of the gospel, to keep fighting our fleshly desires to sin. Not that we earn salvation by our works, but because we are already saved by the blood of Jesus. The gospel is the reason why we are willing to let go of 
perhaps potential jobs or financial gains, even major life decisions, even potential marriage partners. If the prize to gain them requires us to harden our hearts to the Lord who died for us. The gospel, the gospel is the very reason why we do missions or even send our missionaries, God willing. Because the good news is what we proclaim so that people can turn from sin to repentance to faith to salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, someone recently asked me this question. How to share the gospel with a relative? She's not very sure. She says, can I just simply tell him my personal testimony, what God has done for me? My reply is this, by all means, by all means share your personal testimony. But that is not the gospel message that will save. The personal testimony opens up a window for us to share the gospel message of Jesus' death for sin and his resurrection for eternal life. And yes, when we talk about missions, we want to share life with others. We want to help the needy. No, where feasible, we want to improve the economic and social conditions of people we reach out to. But listen to this carefully. Social movements and good works under this banner commission is not mission if the gospel message is not preached. Gospel mission and evangelism involve explaining the bad news. God is good and just and holy. We are not. Gospel mission involves us proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He died for sins and was raised to life, defeating death and exhausting God's wrath for all who stands in Him. And the gospel mission, finally, is a plea for those who hear that they will receive the gospel as their own good news. To receive Jesus as their Savior who died for their sin, Jesus as their King who now reigns over everything. In Jesus, the way is now open for hell-bound people to be heaven-bound saints. That is the gospel. Romans 10, 14-15 clearly puts it this way. It says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And goes on, as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good works. No, sorry. Social reforms. Well, perhaps prosperity. No. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel. May we remind each other that the gospel is the reason why you and I can remain joyful and hopeful when medical reports, circumstances, human authorities issue us death warrants. Please remind me that, and may I remind you that as well. We are to hold on to the gospel that we have first received. That is for Christians. As for those of us who are still considering the gospel message of Jesus Christ, my plea to you is that will you consider the bad news and the good news offered to us. If you need to examine the Bible more, by all means, please do. Don't just take my words for it. But never ignore it because life is busy. Because life disappears. To think that we can deal with death and face God's wrath and judgment 
It's like us standing on marshmallow over the fiery lake of fiery hell, thinking that we are comfortable and secure. It will melt in no time. Now to be clear, there is warning as well. The gospel does not promise any prosperity on this side of life. There is no promise that you will get a luxury car, a fat bank account, good health, even marriage partners. No. Jesus did not come to earth to die so that we can hang our legs up on a comfy chair. In fact, if you believe in the gospel, you may face oppositions, ridicule. You will face great challenges in life because you will be called to turn away from sin again and again and again and to be more like the citizens of God's kingdom in heaven. By God's strength, you will hold on to this gospel message. But here is what God has promised us if we are in Christ and we have the gospel. He said it in Old Testament all the time and in New Testament, but let me read this for us from Hebrews 13 verse 5b to 6. God said this, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? If we turn back to God, He will not forsake us. Not here, not at our death, not on the day of judgment. God will not forsake us because He has already done so when Jesus was on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, He said on our behalf, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then He said, It is finished. And indeed it is. It is finished for those who are in Christ, for those who have cling on to the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is finished. We will not face the judgment because Jesus has already burn up for us. All of us were in this time, this lifetime, have our fair share of the death of loved ones, of our own mortality. But that's just the tip of the iceberg of bad news. But there is great assurance if we cling on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now as I stood there minutes before the cremation of my granny's body, as I look at it, the familiar words in the Bible was being read out. I've heard that so many times. But at that moment, they taste like the sweetest honey I can ever ask for in a thirsty desert. And perhaps it will be for you too when the gateway of death comes near. If the gospel message is good news to you, then this passage is for you. Let me close with this passage from 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 17. This is what it says to Christians. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. Then verse 16, For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. What is good news? It's the costliest offer God can ever Offer us is the gospel, your gospel. Let us pray. 
Can I invite us to just take a moment to reflect on what we heard today? And if you have things that you want to speak to God, now is a good time. Let me close and pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that the gospel you promise in Old Testament scriptures, our Lord Jesus Christ has made it a reality. Help us to turn from our rebellion and turn back to you. Help us to believe that Jesus, our Savior, has died for our sins and has been risen from the dead and now he reigns as King over all creation. And our Lord Jesus, remind us, Father, we will no longer face the second death because of our sins. But instead, when Jesus returns, whether we are physically dead or still alive, we who have trusted in Him will also be raised up to be with Him in His kingdom forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.